sounds like a laugh riot to me, huh? Really, ladies? I'm not even a woman. Game recognized game. <laughs> Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that isn't so dreadfully ugly. <laughs> I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. No jury would convict me. Of? Uh, anything. At all? I'm so lovable. You do look really cute. <laughs> I would be hard-pressed to convict you, but, you know, any any court of law that let a wife sit in judgment of her husband, uh, I, I suspect some shenanigans. Yeah, that would be shady, uh, but we'll hope for the best. Indeed. Welcome back, cousins. Yes. We are going to be very shortly beginning our coverage of Parade's End. That's right. Starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, the man himself. The man, wow. He, wow. He's... He's terrifying. (laughs) I don't understand what you people see in him. He is, uh, he's very distinctive. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, yeah. yeah. Like, compared to, say, Dan Stevens. Right. Like, I would definitely... Put my money on the batch. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And uh, so would Hollywood. So... Clearly. Good luck, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens, not in the most recent Star Trek movie. No. So... Take that. You know what Hollywood did? What did Hollywood do? They did the batch. (laughs) They did the Cumberbatch. The... (laughs) The Cumberbatch. <laughs> it was a golf course. Smash the Cumberbatch. <laughs> that is a ditty that I wrote. Yeah. And now you will be singing it for three weeks. Yeah. Uh, that. I wonder if that is already on YouTube. You know what? Probably. There's a good chance. There's a decent chance. Yeah. We're not going to stop recording right now and go check. Right. We're not monsters. Yeah. <laughs> or Cumberbatches. Oh, right. But before we get any further into the deep, menacing, yet oddly soulless eyes <laughs> of Benedict Cumberbatch. Let From us... whence we may never return. <laughs> Man, if they ever remade Labyrinth, <laughs> he should play Jareth. Yes. Like, oh my God. Yeah, that is you very know, I true. I don't know how he looks in a cod piece at this point, but geez Louise. Yeah, no, that is a great call. Anyway, uh, before we get to all that, yes. uh, let us finally catch up on some correspondence with telegrams from our cousins let's do it just as another reminder cousins if you wish to contact us you can email us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com you can tweet at us we are five maggie smiths that's at the number five maggie smiths on mm-hmm. twitter or you can just search up yours downstairs on facebook yes and many people have contacted us, that and thusly, we will discuss the things that they have to say. <laughs> That's right. Tom, kick it off. Okay. Our first telegram comes from Cousin Liz, who writes, Cousin Chris was a brilliant addition to the show with his terrific deconstruction of Titanic BS. I enjoyed all of his excellent points. I'm tickled that he brought up the A&E special. No one ever mentions it, and it was very good. I did want to say one of my favorite survivors was Eva Hart, Cousin Chris. You should know who she was. And she got a lot of airtime in that special. I also got to meet Bob Ballard and listen to him speak once. He is fascinating. Chris, no love for Wallace Hartley and the orchestra? BTW, attached is the kind of gift I get for my birthday, and I got two of them. Uh, the photo which we will post is of a Titanic tea infuser called the Titanic. Oh, <laughs> Wow. 
<laughs> and I am much less obsessed than I used to be. Heaven help me. Oh, and BTW, the Titanic Historical Society, yes, I am a member, is actually having its annual meeting in Gatlinburg, where one of the ship attractions is cousin Liz. Yeah, you know, even when you become less obsessed with something, and I think we were discussing that with cousin Chris, mm-hmm. like doesn't matter. Like your family and friends are like, no, you're the Titanic person. Right. You you only get Titanic gifts from now on. Yeah. We no, don't somebody, want they, to have well, to devote the brain space. Right. They just have a little like switch in their mind. They see something that's Titanic in their price range. They're like, oh, we should get that for cousin Liz. Exactly. I'm assuming this is one of your actual cousins thinking yeah. this. No, uh, that, well, you know, and I, I think, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but, you know, when I played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz when I was in, like, seventh grade, mm-hmm. like, through college, <laughs> all of my relatives were giving me all this Wizard of Oz stuff, and I yeah. was like, I'm kind of, like, into, like, banging people now, oh, so, right. you know. Do you, do you have anything that would help with that? How about some Ruby Cause, Red Because it's red not condoms. going great. Yeah, it was not going well <laughs> at all, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> Into it. Not sure that the ruby red condoms would help, but hey, worth a shot. Hey, you don't know. No, I don't. I you had were... I had a crush on a lot of gay guys. I was going to say you were in the theater department. Yeah. You know, we were all confused. Yeah. Trying to figure out what went where and why. Why thanks. This will go great when I'm having intercourse with my boyfriend. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this isn't how it was supposed to go at all. Well, I guess I need another case. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Our next telegram comes from Cousin Laura. My dearest cousins Kelly and Tom, I hope you both are well. I am not sure if you are aware or not, but this Sunday, October 6th, 2013. (laughs) So, sorry, y'all. Well, it's not that bad. I just think it's great that she specified the year just in case. (laughs) Just in case we didn't get to this until next year. That's a fair point. This Sunday... Masterpiece Classic will be playing a show called The Paradise. I watched it on the internet a few months ago and enjoyed it. I thought you might, I thought you all may as well. It's set in York, I think, in the late 19th century, maybe 1880s to 1890s. The ladies are wearing bustle dresses, so it has to be in that time frame. It's sort of like Mr. Selfridge as it is set in a city department store. Anyway, I know you guys have your schedule set up already, although I'd love to hear your take on the show. Anyway, just thought I would share the info so that it seems like something you all would like. Take care, Cousin Laura. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think maybe that's still going on. It Check your local be, listings. Yeah, by all means. Uh, and it should be streaming on PBS.com. Right. Even if it's right. not live. But yeah, that definitely sounds like something all of us cousins would enjoy. <laughs> that's right. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Clarissa, who writes... Greetings, Kelly and Tom. I feel I have been remiss in not sending this telegram before now. I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning, which also means I've spent many hours shamelessly laughing inappropriately in public. I'm currently listening to your recap of Titanic, The Legend Goes On. Never has the phrase dick lips ever caused so much unbridled joy. And the Kelly remix of the Celine Dion song was her best to date. Dowager Countess Jackie is a perfect addition to your snark gang. She needs to join you again soon, even if just to pop in and say, Your precious mother! I'm eagerly awaiting your coverage of the next season of Downton Abbey. Your sarcastic, snarky, and witty commentary warms this Mississippi girl's heart. Sincerely, Cousin Clarissa. Yeah, we agree. We wish Cousin Jackie lived closer, because she could be on, like, all the time. It's true. And I will say, as I was editing that podcast, every time, the, your precious mother, <laughs> I, it killed me. That was great. Dick lips. <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Gabby. 
Hello, cousins. After I finished listening to your Titanic Legend Goes On podcast, I felt the need to write to you. I did not watch the movie beforehand because I didn't have time. So throughout the entire podcast, there were many moments where I was doubting the fact that this even exists. Not that I don't trust you guys or whatever, but I didn't know that something that ridiculous could be made. (laughs) At the very end, during the song that you play, there were a few moments of dialogue from the show, and I didn't even know what to do with myself. I couldn't stop laughing. I don't know if I was laughing more at what was actually happening or at the fact that your recap was completely accurate and this show was actually a thing. So naturally, I had to look this thing up. By the end of it, my boyfriend and I were completely drunk and thought that this was actually happened historically, and we were particularly excited when the dolphin stepped in to save the day. We woke up in the morning to find we were on hour seven of the 10-hour rapping Titanic dog clip on YouTube, but that's beside the point. Needless to say, this movie is definitely one of the worst animated movies I've seen ever, and I think I have been emotionally scarred for life. Thanks for that. But anyway, I loved Dowager Cousin Jackie being on the podcast. She was very funny and cannot wait for the next non-Titanic recap. I also can't wait for Downton to start up again, as it's been very hard avoiding spoilers. See you around, even though I probably won't. Cousin Gabby. You know, I think really the purpose of this podcast... (laughs) Is to inspire people to get drunk and watch ridiculous things. Yeah. Or, you know, to watch good things and right. then get drunk. Yeah. Either way, we <laughs> we encourage you all to drink. <laughs> Unless you're on the wagon or right. in some sort of court-ordered sobriety program. <laughs> right. In which case, like, listen to the government. Right. They have all of our best interests at heart in that regard. Yeah. Not in every regard, but yeah. Um, yes, and I, I included I, – I could have trimmed that down to just include the song part and not that dialogue, but I felt it would be an enjoyable I did not realize egg. that that was a thing until we got this telegram yeah. and immediately listened to it. And it was like this is not even poignant. <laughs> right. And I'm using that term extremely loosely, but like it had no bearing on the plot. They were just like, hey, uh, Giuseppe, <laughs> right. we needed some dialogue for the end of credits, huh? <laughs> it, it was fun. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Jonathan, who writes, Dearest Cousins Kelly and Tom, I hope this email-gram finds you well, drunk, and incredibly bitter. Why bitter? Because I'm running on an hour and a half of sleep, and if I can't be well-rested and happy, then no one should be. Please read the rest of this email with the utmost of urgency, even though there is absolutely nothing urgent about it. That said... I listened to your recent podcast about Titanic The Legend Goes On while doing laundry at a local laundromat while local heathen children of unknown ethnicity slammed against dryer doors to their tiny heart's content. As it was a large load of laundry that was bound to take quite a while, I was relieved to have two hours of my favorite podcast for my earbuds. And as a child, I was fascinated by Titanic and terrified by an American tale. So this was a delightfully nostalgic juxtaposition. But then something rather peculiar occurred that left me chilled to the bones. A few years ago, another podcast I regularly listened to made jovial reference to Gary Coleman, and within the week, said Coleman was dead, no more, kaput. It was unfortunate and coincidental, yes, but still rather well-timed. I'd forgotten about this until you made mention of Richard Belzer, curmudgeonly loveball detective munch of Law & Order SVU. This would not necessarily faze me, save for the fact that just the day before, I'd read that one Belzer was leaving the show, and I was struck with deja vu. Richard Belzer is going to die within the week, and it's all because you name-checked him, and this is all clearly a sign from the universe to give you a heads-up that when it happens, you will in fact be held responsible in my eyes. But then something even stranger occurred. 
I hate Ever After with a fiery passion and had forgotten all about the sexually objectified Toby Jones in the film until you mentioned it. When I got home after laundry that night, I was flipping through channels when it landed on Ever After during a scene when Angelica Houston's manhandling Mr. Jones. Coincidence? I think not. Sorry, I had it stuck on caps. This clearly means that in addition to Mr. Belger, you have murdered either Toby Jones's career or Angelica Houston's wigs. Let's hope for the latter. Way to go, guys. I did not watch Titanic The Legend Goes On. <laughs> all this is a roundabout way of saying keep up the good work. Can't wait for season four. Team Edith all the way. I really hope she finds that tree this year. And if you must kill a celebrity, please let it be James Franco. He's done enough. Always, Cousin Jonathan. P.S. I just fell. That's all. Reefer Madness reference? God, I hope. You are correct, sir. Yes. Also, we have been uh, killing celebrities by name, checking them low these many years. <laughs> That's right. It's nice to finally get some credit. Yeah. Gosh darn it. Yeah, I mean, it's like we've been putting up with this gypsy curse for no reason. I know. So, James <laughs> Franco. You're your, next, Your number's up. Yeah. Uh, how can you hate Ever After? It's kind of the best movie ever. Listen, I... Uh, I don't a know. A bird may hate a fish, monsieur, but they can probably not ever encounter each other. <laughs> right. It seems unlikely. I know. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Marina. Greetings, Tom and Kelly. I have greatly been enjoying your podcast for several months now, but have just decided to write in for the first time today. Though I dearly miss our beloved Downton, just like you and my fellow cousins do, I am sure your witty snark and humorous take on all things Edwardian and historical makes the hiatus bearable. I am saddened to hear that you will not be covering Downton season four on the UK schedule. I just can't bear to wait till January myself. However, I perked up as soon as I remembered that this would leave more time to cover other programs in the Edwardian era while we wait for the new year as you have been doing these past several months. I am writing to you today with a recommendation slash request. This summer, I was overtaken by a lovely BBC HBO drama miniseries based on a fantastic book by Ford Maddox Ford called Parade's End. The British drama follows the life of upstanding, unbreakably moral Christopher Tegens, a middle-class man whose wife Sylvia refuses to give up the string of extramarital affairs she has been sustaining in order to goad her husband into jealous passion, and who unexpectedly falls in love with a young suffragette. Woo! Suffragettes! On the brink of World War I. He must then contemplate two paths, one of righteousness and the other of happiness as he weighs the consequences of following each path and his life with each woman to its natural end. The way I put it makes the miniseries sound sappy and lame, but let me tell you, it's actually pretty interesting and very entertaining. I learned a lot while watching, which is more than I can say for Titanic Blood and Steel. The book is fantastic as well and is actually a four-volume set. Yes, some of the acting is just okay, but it's an extremely well-crafted scenario and was even nominated for a couple of 2013 Emmys. No wins, sadly. I hope you are able to look into this program and perhaps consider adding it to your Edwardian television repertoire. Adoringly, Marina, your devoted cousin. Well, congratulations, Marina. Yes. You are our cousin of the week for mm -hmm. recommending what we did, in fact, cover. That's right. Uh, apologies to anyone else who has written in to us to cover this, but this came right when we were trying to decide <laughs> right. what we wanted to do, and uh, this timed out perfectly. Yes. and, and uh, Timing is everything in we, life. So. We did want to find out what this cumberbatch was we kept hearing <laughs> so much about right. from the kids. Uh, so congratulations, yes. Cousin Marina. You are Cousin of the Week. You're here. Enjoy. Yeah. You don't win anything. That's right. Except our everlasting gratitude. And, you know, until we forget. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, uh, 
guess it's time to discuss this very parade's end. The beginning of parade's end. That's right. Uh, you know, I was pleased first. Let's grand marshal this bitch. <laughs> right. I was pleased first of all because, as we all know, the best part of any parade is the parade's end because parades suck. That just, is true. Just putting that out. Parades there. Parades are the worst. Not sure why they keep happening. Ah, uh, they can't think of any other way to get people out of their houses. <laughs> what with the streaming internet and everything. That's true. They do have people throwing candy. I do love candy. Everybody loves candy. Uh, yeah. So this is it. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we'll start by saying we just, you know, we don't really know what to think at this point. Right. So we've just watched this first episode of, of their five episodes mm-hmm. in the miniseries. And we don't like we don't like it or dislike it thus far. I Yeah, think, I think we're say. completely neutral. Right. Much like Switzerland. <laughs> right. Uh, which does not enter into this, sadly. Only uh, <laughs> England, France and Germany thus far. So far. Perhaps they will be globe trotting later, but the, it seems uh, unlikely. Yeah, you know, I think some of them are going to have to fight in that war. Well, I would imagine. I mean, which is still going to pretty much limit us to those locations. <laughs> well, but. yes. I mean, the the world aspect of World War One is slightly oversold, really. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, we'll tell you what we think of this. And, you know, I mean, I really do think that once we get into, like, literally as soon as the next episode, I think. I agree. Well, and I think, you know, at about the midway point was kind of where it clicked in for me mm-hmm. and i was like okay i think i see sort of yeah how i'm supposed to be thinking of all of this right right because i think you know it's at least in part intended as kind of a satire yeah like maybe i'm just saying that because we were watching pride and prejudice earlier today it could be and i'm kind of in that frame of mind mm-hmm. but i mean a lot of these characters are just so ridiculous and yeah I'm like what the hell is going on with you people yeah yeah well, and it, it, and it does kind of throw you in at the beginning, too. So that's also why it, it may have taken us a little bit to, to get Well, that into and Benedict it. Cumberbatch. Right. Terrifying. Yes. I mean, I know, you know, we're not supposed to be, like, having warm fuzzies about his character at this point. We're <laughs> right. definitely, I think, supposed to be on this. Off-put. Well, we're supposed to be off-put and we're supposed to understand sort of because all the characters are always like, ah, you know, Tejans, what the hell's wrong with you? And he's like, I'm probably autistic. Right. And he probably is. Mm-hmm. As we start off, there's a, uh, uh, definitely a kaleidoscope theme going on with the credits, uh, which were, they were pretty sharp. I was fine with them. Um, and we start off in Paris 1908. <gasps> P.S. you guys, Roger Allen is in this and he was the original Javert. In the original London production of Les Mis Rob. So, fun fact! That's very good to know. I love it when he shows up and stuff. <laughs> I'm glad. We see uh, a woman who is passing on a message to somebody that it is too late. So, there's that. In Paris, in uh, 1908. Right. Back in Victoria Station in London, we see that what's going on is some, some sort of shotgun wedding seems mm-hmm. to be happening. Uh, that, And not only is it a shotgun wedding... Uh, which apparently at this point they're doing not in Scotland as they did in Pride and Prejudice, but in France. Yes. This is where their, their secret wedding is happening. Or not secret, but. Uh, well, as the batch says, it's a, uh, sort of a back door out of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he is not even certain that the child is his. Indeed. Uh, his bride to be has bitched him. Which is yeah. a term I have never heard. It's a uh, bit of a Billy Jean scenario here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's uh, he's going through with it. Back in Paris, uh, Gerald 
shows up at Sylvia's place. Presumably the guy who she was like, you know, leave me alone. Right. Uh, he does not want to take no for an answer. She says that she, what she wants out of the situation is to die. She wants, that's, that's what she's hoping for is death, which seems a bit extreme. Like you're in a really nice hotel in Paris. It's an incredibly nice hotel. Yeah. Like that's nicer than anywhere I've ever been. I'd get shotgun married out of that hotel. Yeah, for real. Like I would too. I'm not even a woman. (laughs) (laughs) But Gerald, however, wants, uh, to fuck and they do he uh he rips her uh nightgown that she's wearing and we see a little bit of a nip yeah a in, the, bit. Uh, in the aerial uh banging shot that we get that's right because they go right there on the floor like three feet from the bed come on like that's just uncomfortable uh you know tom this is you know this is not a relationship bound by uh convention yeah you know they're they're just playing by their own rules yeah getting pregnant <laughs> that's right uh, then we see old Seabatch on a train um, with... I am so motherfucking tired <laughs> of all these Seabatches on this motherfucking train. <laughs> right. Uh, he is with Sylvia, and this is, I guess, a flashback. Yes. And he apparently has... There was a timestamp. Right. Uh, I think it was like two months earlier. Something like that, yeah. And he uh, he apparently has that disease where things look like you're seeing them through a kaleidoscope. Oh. Uh, I was yeah. like, ugh. I thought it was just for the credits, dude. Yeah, no, but it's it's for the every credits. time he looks at her, she's all like fragmented, right? And it's like, dude, this is like an adaptation with Nicolas Cage's brother that was also Nicolas Cage when it was like, I'm trying to use mirrors to symbolize. Anyway, you mean the three? Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> yes, it was in fact a three-paneled kaleidoscope that they're on here. Don't you dare. <laughs> Use a deus ex machina. <laughs> uh, in a carriage somewhere, Mrs. Satterthwaite is, uh, she's helping out with the wedding in some way. And it, I guess she turns out to be, is she? She's Sylvia's mother. Okay, she is Sylvia Sylvia's mother. Sylvia was Sylvia Satterthwaite. And that is brought up at some point okay. a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, and then there's like this guy in between them who's maybe a Really? He is some, he's wearing a clerical collar. Um, it's very weird. It is. We, we, there's Oh, there's a lot in this that we didn't like. We understood all the major stuff that happened in this episode. But there are a couple of characters where we're like, "Who?" Uh, right. Most of them clerics, actually. We're right. like, "Why are you here?" Yeah. Much like in real life, we're like <laughs> no one invited you to this barbecue, <laughs> Pastor Dave. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, because Cumberbatch has been seen off at the London train station by his friend Mick Master. McMaster. Yeah. He's he's kind of checking with him to make sure you know at the office people don't think anything's amiss right because he's got to go and get married in paris right so then you know in paris the uh mother and daughter satterthwaite satterthwaite satterwaite satterthwaite satterwhite yeah (laughs) (laughs) jesus saperstein what the hell sutterwit uh anyway so they're in this carriage with this guy and like sylvia's like got some compact and mm-hmm. her mom's like, where did you get that? I've never seen that. She's like, oh, Gerald gave it to me last night. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big hoe. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, the guy in the middle's like, like, uh, you're being pretty uppity on your shotgun wedding day. Yeah. And she's like, yes, I am. <laughs> and she pretty much all of her dialogue sounds like that. Right. It's, uh, yeah, 
she she is what she is. Uh, she's also a papist, apparently. Yeah, they're a Catholic. That's why they had to get married. That's probably why they got married in France. Yeah, actually, Scotland. that makes sense. Yeah, they wouldn't be holding with that in Scotland. Well, and none of Seabatch's uh, family has come. Right. He is, however, except I think Rupert Everett was his brother. Okay. I don't know what his actual name was, but right, like, he was. Yeah, because yeah. he was there and he was very like. Annoyed. Yeah, Steve Batch was like, Father didn't send anything, and he's like, Oh, yeah, he sent me, idiot. Yeah. Like, way to knock up a papist. Yeah. But somebody was blaming the fact, I believe that. Seabatch's father had married a non-Yorkshire woman yes. as a second wife. Oh, so this is probably his sort of like half brother. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, right, and this is where because this means that uh, his brother is not going to inherit the uh, the Teachin's estate. It is now going to go to this uh, bastard child, right? The one who is currently in the belly of this papist. Ah, yeah, man, papists. Yeah, well, getting it done. Yeah, but uh, somebody says something about her being very special, or like, or he has like this wistful memory of yeah, her, of her, and it mainly just looks like she may have raped him. Yeah, like they just banged <laughs> on that train in that flashback. Well, he was apparently on some kind of drugs where he saw three of her. That's he didn't true. think he could well, fight her off. Well, she said she had left some, you know, bore of a country party and had presumably banged this Gerald guy. Right. And felt the need to, like, hedge her bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, because Gerald is married to somebody else. Mm. That became clear when he showed up. Yeah. So then we, we flash forward. Three years. Yeah, three years. There is now a three-year-old. This half papist. His name is Michael. His name is Michael. Like a true papist. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and he has, uh, he's, it's nighttime, he's screaming, he's had a bad dream. That's right, because the little thing they did was transition between the cries of passion in the train and the crying of the child having a bad dream. So, uh, birth control. Right. That's a very valuable lesson there for, for all you teens. <laughs> um, and tweens. Yeah. We're not here to judge. Yes. And, uh, Seabatch is, comforting him sort of by telling him that he also used to have bad dreams because at Groby, their manor, there is a horrifying tree that is like Covered, gi- yeah. gigantic and has all things like, you know how things would be hanging from trees in the Blair Witch Project? Yeah. Like that's basically <laughs> this tree. The Batch Witch Project. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and he tells the, the nanny, he's like, her name's like Marchand or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Middlemarch. <laughs> right. Something like that. Middlesex? I don't know. <laughs> but he's like, oh, go get him some warm milk. That's the best thing for bad dreams. I'm like, uh, parents not trapped in a loveless marriage, I think, is probably the best thing for bad dreams. Uh, yeah. Secondarily, looking at the face of Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> worst thing I can think of. Right. Like, if I woke up from a bad dream and I, like, tried to, like, wake you up and you, like, rolled over and looked at me with the face of benedict cumberbatch even if you knew already knew that i had that face yeah even yeah. if i knew i'd be like ah! i'd right. probably die of fright yeah i'd be like let me tell you about a creepy tree <laughs> <laughs> and i would run screaming into the night not wearing any pants <laughs> yeah they have a creepy tree and also a very deep well twice as deep as the tree is high so um is that this, seems impossible is this Chekhov's well possibly <gasps> i know right so breakfast at the Cumberbatches. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, what a time. There's various gossip going on. Like some of it's in the papers and they're talking about people who we don't really know who anybody yeah, is well, yet. Yeah, well, because like Sylvia's whole thing is like, you know, she's like 
being very avant-garde and reading between all the lines because she's like, oh, so-and-so wants us to know that she's having a sexual connection with blah, blah, blah mm. because it's in the society pages and yada, yada, yada. Right. And, and it's it's actually something like somebody is playing polo or yeah. something. And yeah. And her mom's like, oh my God, will you please shut up? Yeah. And Benedict Cumberbatch is just sitting there. He's like, sitting there doodling on a skeleton, like a picture of a skeleton. It was a dinosaur skeleton. Well, yeah, but it's still, it was like, ah. Uh, I was, you know, concerned by yeah. the fact Anyway, uh, but then, like, Sylvia is just, like, constantly trying to get a rise out of him right. and failing. And then she just, like, she, like, gets a piece of, like, buttered toast and then throws the plate and the toast at him. Right. And he just kind of sits there. Yeah. And uh, she tells her mother he's sitting there correcting the Encyclopedia Britannica. And yes. I'm like, mm, you should have tried harder to hit him. <laughs> right. You really should have tried. Right. Because she says no jury would convict her, which is probably not true. But also, yeah, that is, come on. I, uh, you, you know, in my client's defense, Your Honor, <laughs> uh, the deceased was a dick. Right. They, they might recommend clemency. They did also discuss the, you know, Obamacare of the day. Right. I that, can't remember what it was called. I don't know that they named it. They, they just, did. did. They They just said that uh, everybody would get, the poor people would get free medicines. Yes. And uh, Cumberbatch, very much opposed to this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, as if we could dislike you more. <laughs> right. Oh, also worth noting, Sylvia's a ginger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but She's my favorite ginger so far, frankly. Yeah. She's, uh, she's vivacious. Uh, she's, you know, she's very attractive. Um, oh yeah. yeah, I would bang her in yeah. a train car. She's super attractive, so she's of got I that going. I could get pregnant, so right. That's that would help. Yeah. Um, I would bang her on a train. I would bang her in the rain. <laughs> bang her, bang her again and again. Yeah, and people have. Um, uh, Cumberbatch goes into his job, which is apparently at the Imperial Department of Statistics. That sounds dry. It sounds like a laugh riot to me. Huh? <laughs> Woo. Uh, and Sylvia is hanging out with some girlfriend of hers, uh, discussing promiscuity. And she's like, what would you do if you could like have sex with all the men in the world? Or like, I mean, something like that. Well, Sylvia takes a pretty pragmatic approach. She's like, <laughs> oh, just on weekends, you know, you need somewhere to store your maid. <laughs> like that's the actual phrase she uses. Yes. Uh, you know, and somewhere to keep your husband for going out midweek. Yeah. But then this guy shows up in a purple, is it a Rolls Royce? Or was it? I feel like it was a. Maybe it was a Rolls Royce. I can't remember. It was a purple fancy car. But his name is Potty. Yes. Or she calls him Potty. I don't remember what his real name is. Yeah, but, but he's uh, he's told by her maid that Sylvia is not at home. Right. And because... he's like, "Come on." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but apparently, Potty has been pressuring her to leave Old Sea Batch. Yeah. Um. And you know, she's like, "That's not what this is about, dude." Yeah. Come on. She also she refers to her maid as Hello Central, which I don't understand what yeah, that means. That's never explained. It may be in a future episode, but it's, uh, potentially, yeah, or not. It seems pretty it just be dehumanizing. Like, it may just be like a, a little Easter egg for people that have read the book. Maybe I don't know. Another flashback to the train. Sylvia asks Seabatch if he has a cigarette, and he says, "Yes, of course. They're frightfully addictive. We all have them all the time." <sighs> But back at the Department of Statistics, he is having a meeting with his superior, who is angry at him, as he has done a report on this health bill that indicates that it'll bankrupt the country. He's the Ted Cruz of his day. <laughs> he is. Uh, and his boss is like, uh, dude, it's going to pass, and our bosses are going to, you know, we need the numbers to add up, 
and it's not a matter of like you know it's not up to you it's up to the politician he really um he's very obstinate yeah about this kind of thing and he doesn't want his name anywhere near this right he says that he he, he was like okay i can give you numbers that add up to what you want i just you know i'm just meh, 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 meh. i'm the cumberbatch mm-hmm. and he insists that the credit go to mcmaster and not to him yes we see a bunch of suffragettes, and they're going after a, uh, a Mr. Waterhouse, mm-hmm. who is uh, the a minister. I believe he is a minister, he's not the a prime member minister. of the Liberal Party. Yeah, he is a liberal, and uh, he's he is the one who specifically is advancing the health bill. Yes, uh, we know that. But the suffragettes clearly not a fan. No, they attack him. Right, suffragette style. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, he is on his way into a fancy party hosted by Murray with a yeah. very trimmed down mustache. Yeah, it's, it's, his mustache has really lost a lot of weight. <laughs> right. It's less the walrus and uh, more of a sea otter. Yeah. Um, but him and other people talk about how horrible women are. Oh, uh, man, they are bad. <laughs> yeah. They all need a good spanking. Yes. All the suffragettes do. Right. Because uh, uh, this uh, spanking was a thing that people did to their wives. Well into the uh, 50s and 60s, if you recall your I Love Lucy. Indeed. So uh, let's just never forget that however much we dislike the second wave feminists, <laughs> uh, they stopped that. Yeah. Well done. But Cumberbatch, oddly enough, despite his opposition to the medical bill, is in, seems to be more or less sympathetic with the suffragette movement. Mm-hmm. So he, he does have... Well, it makes sense. He's kind of Spock-like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean... Well, because his reasoning for uh, not supporting, you know, kind mm-hmm. of uh, government-funded health care is that it should be the employer's responsibility to provide for their employees, employees in an appropriate manner. Although he says that people only get sick... To the extent they can pay for being sick, uh, right. which is kind of fallacious thing. I mean, like, you know, right. they don't go to the doctor if they can't pay the doctor. Right. It doesn't mean they're not still getting sick. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, he's got this very sort of genteel attitude that, right. you know, it's very Lord Grantham. It is. He's, he's extremely, yeah. you know, yeah. Lord Grantham-esque. That's very in, true. In all of his attitudes. Yeah. Except for the suffragette thing. Because right. he just... I think he just thinks it's logical, or he yeah. just, he doesn't seem to think that there's a problem. Right, right. I don't know that he goes as far as, you know, overtly supporting it, but... Right. Hey, remember when Sybil was a suffragette? <laughs> I do. I wonder what ever happened. Oh, yeah, she died. Yeah, she died uh, in childbirth. Oh. So, hmm. apparently women need, didn't need the vote after all. <laughs> Go, Edith. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sylvia is at this party dancing with Potty. Oh, Potty. Yes. Uh, Which is a name that he does not like. Right. But she don't give a fuck. Yeah. She seems to me, Sylvia's like if Scarlett Johansson had a personality. <laughs> yeah. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Right? Ugh. <laughs> uh, but she is has done this very much to provoke him, has gone to the party with Potty ahead of him, and is like, oh, I hope you don't mind and he's like, uh, whatever. And she says, she asks him to dance, and he's like, uh, this isn't dancing. Call me when they play a tune. So he doesn't like jazz. Big fucking surprise there. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, you know, at this point I'm extremely unsympathetic toward this guy. 
Cause yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm not approving of her methods. Right. But like, come on, you know, this is clearly a cry for help, man. Yeah. Like, you know, she wants to get some of that crazy kaleidoscope train banging going again. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you can afford it. Buy some tickets right around the country right. for a while. Show her a good time, man. The De- Imperial Department of Statistics can wait, sir. <sighs> Uh, so she goes back to dancing with Potty and kind of like stringing him along because he's really like pushing the whole leave him for uh-huh. me. And she's like, oh, you know, maybe someday that might, yeah. you know, could happen. Uh, there's a very brief scene that I just titled Cumberbatch and Autumn because it's just him sitting kind of looking morose for about five seconds. And then- no, well, at that party, he, uh, are we still at the party? Yeah. Okay. So he goes up to that guy, right? Oh, right. He does. Yeah. He goes up to Waterhouse because mm-hmm. he's talking to McMasters and he's like, oh, hey, there's that asshole that made me say those numbers. I'm going right. to go give him a piece of my mind. Mm-hmm. And McMasters is like, dude, come on. I am like your only friend. <laughs> Listen to me. And he's like, nope. Yeah. And he goes right over there and is a dick to everybody. Right. And like. Well, because they're all complaining about the, the suffragettes and T barges and is like, well, maybe if the prime minister had kept up his promise. Mm-hmm. To, to move it forward after the coronation, and they're all like, <laughs> yeah. So actually, here's, you know, hypothesis. He did not actually care either way about suffrage and just was mad at Waterhouse for an unrelated reason and so found himself defending the suffragettes. Well, this is why uh, people keep accusing him of lashing out in a way because they're like, oh, he's just – because he walks away and they're like, mm-hmm. whoa. Right. That was weird. And they go, his wife's just cheating on me, taking it out on us. I'm like, no, he doesn't seem to care about (laughs) that, actually. He's he's fine with that. He's he's totally chill with her stepping out. Yeah. It's supposed to be about the statistics. (laughs) But, uh, in fact, in fact, he does care, as it (gasps) turns out. Deeply. Uh, yeah. He cuts her loose, basically, Mm -hmm. and heads back up to Groby with Michael. Um, we no, he doesn't. She leaves him. Oh, she leaves him. Yeah, she hightails it off. Okay, with Potty. Her mom's at a spa in Germany. Why? You yeah, know, I mean, bitching it up. Yeah, and so the story. You know, the official story. Right. That he gives to McMaster's. He's like, okay, you know, this is what happened. I, I, you know, shut the house down, sold the furniture. Like he moves okay. fast. Well, for he, a cuckold. okay, that makes because he said all that, and I thought that that was all. He said all the things he'd done, and he said it so decisively. I thought that he had initiated no, 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 no. the whole thing. Okay, she clearly well because okay. if she had like no, when she right. later does, comes back, later. she wouldn't be the supplicant. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he's gotten rid of the house, sold the furniture, takes his son up to Groby, right. to hand off to his sister Effie, mm-hmm. uh, who looks nice enough but kind of dour, right? Uh, but so Michael drops a coin down the deep, deep well, right? Which he can only count to six for, right? We've been led to believe he could count to ten. Yeah, we get a lot of shots, you know, from like the wells POV. Mm-hmm. I think there's a decent chance that Michael is going to fall down it and then eventually become Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Cumberbatch man. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, his dad and mom are around, and yeah. his mom is in a wheelchair, and she's like, oh, hey, your wife shamed us. And his dad's like, hey, I'm going to fuck around with the trinkets on this creepy-ass tree. <laughs> and you're like, no wonder you're so fucked up, sir. Yeah. Uh, he says that he's not going to divorce her. He would not put her through that. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to divorce her, he'd basically have to, like, prove in a court of law that she was a horrible slut. 
and uh, it does not seem like it would be that hard. Well, I agree, but you know, society's norms are what they are. And uh, they see a horse pulling a plow and observe that the motor plow didn't serve. So, uh, you know, progress? Question mark? We will see. Decline of the agrarian society, perhaps? Could be. <gasps> that sheep is going to be sad. Blum, 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 blum. The yeah. motor plow did not serve. <laughs> yes. In Paris, or somewhere in France, I don't know if it was Paris, but... It wasn't. It was, I believe, Ron, R-O-N-N-E. Okay. I don't well, know if anyway. that's a place. We're, it was in France somewhere, uh, and... That's where you go to commit adultery. Right. Everybody knows that. And have a shotgun wedding. Literally everybody does All know that. All of your bad sex decisions happen in France. Right. France or Fran- French territorial possessions. Yes. One or the other. What's the status of Alsace Lorraine at this point? <laughs> uh, at, well, uh, in question, as mm. everyone will learn to their dismay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Potty thinks that he and Sylvia are together now because he is a chump. He is so stupid. Yeah. This is the reverse of the Ethel... Uh, you know, major, uh, what's his, yeah, but, yeah, you know, Astash. Astash, right. Oh, uh, Astash. Major <laughs> Astash. Yeah. Cause, you know, she's all like, whatever. Like, cause he, like, gets a gun out. Cause she's like, oh, right. here's a catalog of your faults and I hate you. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go back home. Yeah. Cause at first he's like, but, but, but my mustache. But, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so she just sits down and then makes some cutting remark about the stationery in these hotels <laughs> that she's been staying in. Right. And uh, he gets a gun out and is like, I'm going to – because she just then – she's just – I loved her in this scene. Yes. She was unfazed. She's like, are you yeah. going to kill yourself? She's right. like, that's stupid. He's like, no, I'm going to kill you. And she doesn't even turn around to look at him. Right. Well, yeah. because, she, you know – She absolutely chills him out. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and when he's like, because he's threatening, he's like, he, you know, he says that the French understand these things, like, so we won't get in Don't trouble. Don't the French understand when two men shoot each other? Yeah, and the French understand when you're, you know, when you're being a chump, too. Yeah, they also understand when you're not French. <laughs> Indeed. They're like, we uh, don't know what happened. Uh, he is one of the English. Uh, we assume it was a dispute over tea. <laughs> uh, her husband is a powerful lord. You are weird. <laughs> Nice mustache, though. <laughs> May I have the comb off of his corpse? <laughs> uh, so Seabatch and... and... This is the scene where he... Because he gets so mad, though, and he's like, Oh, you said your husband was a great lump of wood. <laughs> and she's like, No, no, he's a cumberbatch. I keep telling you. <laughs> Which is... Uh, that That's actually what cumberbatch means. Yeah. In old English. That's right. <laughs> but he's having breakfast with... Uh, McMaster. Oh, I thought we were going to say Tiffany. Yeah, that comes in episode three. <laughs> uh, and he receives a letter from Sylvia, which uh, is her very sort of like icily saying, well, I suppose I'll come back under these conditions. Yeah. And McMaster asks him if he'll take her back. And he says, I imagine so. Partly for Michael's sake, because apparently Michael is already starting to talk like a farm boy up with Effie. It's stupid though because like ten seconds later mm-hmm. he says that he'll like you know he's writing her back and he's saying you can come back but Michael stays with my sister right 
and he's going to get a, a flat instead of a house because mm-hmm. a house is uh, it's like a bridge too far for a man who can't be sure of his husband. I mean, you know, yeah. he has a certain point. Yeah. Um, but it's like, that's going to stop him talking like a Yorkshire guy. Right. And this is also, this is the scene in which he drops the title because he says something about, there's just a way, I forget how he phrased it, but something like, there's just a way that us gentlemen do things, call it parade. And then he just goes on from there. I was like, why call it parade? What, that doesn't clarify anything. That's a parade. <laughs> Why not call it biscuit? Why not call it cumberbatch? What does parade have to do with anything? I would totally watch something called biscuits end. <laughs> that sounds delectable. Come from the honey? <laughs> On the Food Network this fall. <laughs> uh, McMaster is. I thought he was a poet, but he's actually a critic. It's very or weird. Or maybe also a poet. I don't understand him. Yeah. I honestly think he might just be a figment of Seabatch's imagination. <laughs> like, given some of the things that happen later. No, I'm that's like, true. Are you a real person or are you just like Bunbury? Yeah. No, because – no, that makes sense because he's got like, you know, whatever spectrum thing he has going on. Mm-hmm. And like, he can't process art. So like, McMaster is sort of his <laughs> – displaced artistic side i like this theory (laughs) one or the other also suggests that the person sylvia should be with is the viceroy of india he says that yeah he says that who's the viceroy of india at this point i i don't know and my questions are a why and b uh have you checked like she seems pretty easy going no but see the thing is she wouldn't go that far yeah that's. i feel like i'm gonna be a total sylvia apologist on this that's fair um She's not that different from your Lady Mary. Yeah. No, I'm I'm she's, not I'm know, not a Sylvia just, hater. She's Lady Mary in the city. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> That would be a fun show. <laughs> Lady Mary in the city. Yeah. Uh and I had to wonder. <laughs> was it my vagina that killed that Turkish <laughs> diplomat? <gasps> How do vaginas work? <laughs> I've never been informed. Uh but I mean, you know, she really is just doing this to try and get a rise out of him. Right. And his complete lack of any reaction. Right. And I mean, and I understand that I think to him, he's like, oh, if I just ignore her, eventually she'll stop. But like, that doesn't work on bullies and it definitely <laughs> doesn't work with unfaithful wives. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, again, it's Edwardian England, so it's not like we can just sit down and have a conversation about this. Right. But... Yeah, no, it is. Look, I don't, I don't uh, like have a strong. Well, I mean, I'm neutral about the whole thing, but I don't have like a side in this fight, particularly. Like, it's interesting if you look at their relationship versus like Mr. and Mrs. Selfridge. mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's a gender flip thing, right? It is, but it's also just you know, because I would say you know they they have a better relationship in terms of almost everything else, but when it comes to his profligacy, Mm -hmm. she's got a much bigger problem. And yeah. whereas, like, she, I don't think, would give a shit if he slept with somebody else. Right. I mean, I, I guess we'll see. Well, but it's it's looking that way, but yeah. But, uh, well, but then, because McMaster says, what if, uh, what if you meet someone else you'd like to marry? And he says he's into monogamy and chastity. Right. Like, kaboom, that's it. Yeah. You know, Seabatch out, drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. The the empire was built on never ejaculating, and I'm not going to let it down now. <laughs> um, so uh, next, there's a golf scene. It's Seabatch and McMaster. That's the worst 
phrase in the English language. Oh, right. Next, there's a golf scene. Right. Um, some other people are there. They see Waterhouse on the course, like on the hole ahead of him. Somebody accuses Seabatch of something. And I don't know. Cumberbatch talks about how he hates golf because, you know, it's fun. Um, yeah. And, but then there's, he's looking around with binoculars for whatever reason. And there's like people popping up over the hills and something strange yeah, is going on. Yeah, I thought on. they were Michael for a minute. Right. I, well, I did think it was a boy. Uh, but it turns out, no, it was suffragettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them. A slender blonde and a non-slender brunette. They're there to ha- harass Waterhouse, naturally. Yes. Uh, and they run up and are, you know, ch- shouting at him. And, uh, I like this, Gertie, the brunette, says, is it our blood you want before you'll do this? Here it is. And just spatters blood on him. Uh-huh. Which, uh, that's pretty cool. It's not clear if it is her blood. Right. It probably is. I mean, just, you know, blood in general. Yeah. Uh, well played. I think, you know, I think you taught him a thing or two. He doesn't look, uh particularly taken aback he's less taken aback than i would be i'll say well, that you much. know i feel like he's probably had some blood thrown on him <laughs> possibly well there is a cop there with them specifically because yeah he's been getting attacked everywhere so the cop and everyone they're all pursuing uh the suffragettes and the uh blonde comes across seabatch who's off by himself for whatever reason yeah. and d- demands that he help gertie because she says that he would not let her be manhandled. And he's like, mm, I don't have any emotions, but I suppose I must do what you say. And so when Gertie runs past, followed by the cop, he throws his golf bag down at the cop's feet. And the cop, you know, trips over them and is like, oh, well, I guess the chase is over. No, and this is actually, this is kind of the turning point because he's like, oh, you did everything you could do, constable. Well done. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, did nobody see this? Did nobody <laughs> right. see you just throw your shit in front of him? Yeah. Uh, but actually, somebody did. The most crotchety of the various people he was playing the golf general? with. Yeah, I guess he's Roger the general. Roger Allen, the general? The, I, I'll Who take... seems to think that Sylvia is just the bee's knees? That guy? Possibly. No, no, no. Not, no the oh, old the guy. other guy. The, the old, really old guy. The really old guy did see what Seabatch did and says, I'm, I'm got to... I ought to swear to warrant for your arrest. And Seabatch immediately replies, you can't. You're not a borough magistrate. Which was... Uh, yeah. No, that was when I was like, boom! I'm yeah. like, alright, Seabatch. Yeah, that was a definite Starting boom. to pick up, uh, not the sexual attraction, because really, ladies? <laughs> right. I just, lady cousins, are you attracted to Benedict Cumberbatch? Are your friends attracted to Benedict Cumberbatch? If so, I want to hear your story, but keep it clean. <laughs> Please do. And actually, that was after the chase completed. The golf bag did not end the chase. What happened was, they... The two women fleeing ahead crossed a plank over a little creek and then kicked the plank aside behind them. And she turned back at them and said, you'll have to go a mile around to the bridge somewhere or whatever. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we're foiled. Despite the fact that she herself had just jumped over this creek, which is like 12 inches wide. Uh, They did not want to do so. I, I mean, I guess not. I was just like... I just couldn't understand it. Was it was like a cartoon. It was like a cartoon. It was very weird. <laughs> I don't know what... I also have written down, what's his name? Fucking loves Sylvia. Yeah. That's the general. The general. Yeah. You fucking loves her. No, and he thinks that they've split because Seabatch uh, has been mm-hmm. screwing around. Right. And Seabatch, because he apparently has no self-preservational uh, instincts, <laughs> does not bother to correct him. Yeah. He's just like, oh, our mom's just... 
Bond, Germany. Look, even I know how ridiculous all this sounds. <laughs> well, yeah. because it's now being bandied about that he is somehow involved with the younger uh, suffragette. Right. Uh, the Miss... Wenup. Wenup. What a horrible name. Indeed. That is... Valentine Wenup. The worst name we've encountered thus far. It's pretty That's bad. That's worse than Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Indeed. Because that's at least got a little, you know, melodiousness to it. Right, yeah. You know, you can make up a fun song. <laughs> yeah, whereas Wan Up, nothing. Mm-hmm. You just got nothing with Wan Up. Who put the win in the win, the win a wop? It sounds like part of a sailboat. It does sound like Lower that. the Wan Up! <laughs> <laughs> Turn the Wan Up full speed ahead! <laughs> We're all gonna die! <laughs> Seabatch uh, and McMaster get drunk together that evening, uh, and Seabatch knows that the war is happening, and he says exactly when it's going to happen, like two years during grouse hunting season. Mm-hmm. Then all of Europe will be at war, and Britain will be smack in the middle of it. And McMaster's like, oh, you're so precise. Uh, then we see Germany, where Sylvia, in fact, is with her mother, the Satterthwaite. I feel like I wrote her name down different every time. And we had the subtitles mm-hmm. on, so like it showed the spelling. Yeah, I think it's Satterwhite? Satterthwaite? I think it's Satterthwaite. Spatterpaint. Suter House. <laughs> <laughs> Sutter Home? Wines? <laughs> well, yeah. she's there with that old dried up looking cleric. Right. Who is Who's, a yeah, real bummer. around. Yeah, I don't know what his well, function is. Well, he gave is. Sylvia away at the wedding. Maybe right. he's her uncle or something. Well, maybe he's like Mr. I mean, he could be married to Mrs. Satter. No, like. she lives with them. Okay. She lives with Seabatch uh, right. and with I guess, Sylvia. I guess we'll have to say uncle then. I don't know. Well, I mean, that could he could be the, you know, the, you know, ranking male relative. Yeah, I don't that know. That makes sense. Anyway, whoever he is. He's discussing Sylvia with Satterthwaite and talking about what a hoe she is and all this sort of thing. But then they do this great cut and she's like, I am right here. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. That More was... Sylvia. Sylvia's the cowbell. Yeah. That was hilarious. Uh, but Sylvia says that she is going to go ahead and go back and live with him and be faithful and be bored stiff for the rest of her life. But she's going to torment him for the rest of her life the way he has tormented her. Which seems excessive because he can't help it. Right. And he also probably will not notice. Like, have you not learned that you were unable to torment him? The only reason he knows that you're alive is because he had to marry you that one time. (laughs) Right. What's her name? Satterwizzle? (laughs) Seabatch and McMaster are going to a house. I don't think we ever figured out why. This is where they meet the... As they're walking up the driveway... Yeah, this wins the award for just weirdest scene. Right. A wacky guy comes up on a bicycle. He says, hello, I'm the curate here. And then he falls off his bike. This shit is straight out of a room with a view. Right. It very much is. Uh, his name is Horsley. Uh, there's also a horse in the scene. He almost runs into the horse. Right. And... Uh, Hi, Jinx. Right. And Seabatch sees the horse and is immediately furious that it has a 13 and a half hand harness despite being a 16 hand horse and demands that the bit be loosened because it's cutting his tongue up and things like that. So what we learn here uh, is that Seabatch really does like horses. Yes. He's, he, he's a real Temple Grandin. <laughs> he is. 
Uh, and at this house, where they're all having breakfast, again for reasons that are unclear, although I believe it has to do with McMaster's literary career. Yeah, he's there. He's been invited by this reverend that lives there. Right. And his wife is, like, super concerned about her husband. Yeah. So Valentine is there. Right. For reasons... Again, unclear. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that she lives in the neighborhood. Right. She's a local. She's a local, and Gertie is from London. That yeah. was established earlier. So they're like worried about how it's going to go, and she's like, her mom was trying to tag along, and they're both really excited because this critic is coming. Right. Um, and I did enjoy that because Mrs. Wanup, who I believe was not even really invited. Uh, shows up and like makes a beeline for McMaster. It's like, so I understand you're a critic. Well, I have a book and you're going to be fascinated. And he described me like, uh, well, I'm not really, it's not the sort of thing I do. I don't really review books. And, uh, she's played by Miranda Richardson, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Seabatch and McMaster's come in and are, uh, a bit, uh, a bit, uh, like, oh, hi, you're that suffragette. And then, you know, he winds up sitting next to her at the breakfast table. And right. then? Yes. And okay. then. Okay. Um, wow. So Rufus Sewell comes in. And at first we're excited. Right. Because we all love Rufus Sewell. Yes. But then Rufus Sewell starts talking. and First like, of all, he looks like death. Destroyer of worlds. Like he mm-hmm. looks like, whoa. Oppenheimer? Yes. Is that what he looks like? No. Well, he looks, you know, he's very like... I know. I'm giving you a hard time, Tom. I know. Thank you. Um, That's what our podcast is all about. (laughs) Giving Tom a hard time (laughs) since 2011. Yeah. Uh, Or was it 2012? Whenever it was. Sometime this century. (laughs) Yes, it was. We can agree on that. Uh, But yeah, so... But that was just, you know, he just looked weird. That's fine. He's getting older, as are we all. And there's this other guy with him who's named Perry, who apparently taught... Boxing. To Seabatch at Cambridge. Yes. Again, this is why this scene makes no sense, because at no point is it clear why the Reverend has invited them when it becomes pretty clear that Mrs. Reverend wants to bone McMaster's. Yes. And that Mr. Reverend is bat shit crazy well because he like accuses mcmasters and cumberbatch of being medical men because he's saying you have to have two opinions to declare someone a lunatic right and then once he finds out that they're not goes straight full bore into lunacy yes he starts speaking latin right he says to mcmaster he says that you're not looking well now I detect the pallor of self-abuse. Oh my god. <laughs> Was it boys or girls? And it's like, oh my god. Yeah. Like are we are we at a Catholic right to life dinner? Like what happened? <laughs> no, it is extremely graphically this guy sexual. Is probably Anglican. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and everybody's horrified. Although. Mrs. Reverend in particular. I mean, well, and, you know, of course. Right. And then Seabatch and Valentine are kind of snarking it up in the corner. <laughs> right. They're like, who is this guy? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, th- there's then also, by tells- the way, a stone deaf woman there. Yes, Miss Fox. There's a little comedy with her being deaf too, which is Yeah, nice. well, because he's directing his comments oh, to her and right. she is agreeing. Yes, smiling and nodding. Uh, she's a stone deaf fox. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
this seems to me to be excessive. Right. But at this point, Seabatch says to Perry, who I guess is this guy's handler. Like, yeah. He's like, hey, take him out the way you took out so-and-so back at Cambridge. And then he punches them in the nuts. Right. And it's like, well, if That's this- not going to be good for the power of self-abuse. <laughs> right. Well, and also, if that's something that you do, why do you need prompting to do it? Like, if. If punching him to make him stop talking about boy fucking is part of yeah, your job. Yeah, he did go into that. Yes, he did. Oh, yeah. But if that's part of your job, then the time had clearly come. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you had me at Latin. <laughs> right. But And if that's not part of your job, why was everybody fine with it? And it was just like... Yeah, so this is all very unclear to us and yeah. perhaps is more clear to people who've read the books. Right. But... Uh, but yeah, mental health care is very important. Indeed. And that wasn't it. So they're all leaving right. and Cumberbatch is like, oh, P.S., that Gertie chick, uh, she's hanging out at your place and it's wanted by the municipal police. You probably want to get her out of there. Yeah. Because they're probably going to come looking for her. Yeah. Uh, then we get a, uh, a brief shot of McMaster who is Mac- making out with Mrs. <laughs> Reverend. Yeah, and, and like it's like, so did they know each other before, or like what happened? Yeah, it's not, you know, that's also not clear. Seabatch, uh, by the way, has read Mrs. Wanup's novel, and, and he says that it is the first novel since the 17th century that he did not have to correct in the margins. I do think he said the 18th century. You're right, seven. Yeah, not to correct you in the margins. No, that well, I'm fine <laughs> with that. Yeah, uh, but actually, that that kind of endeared me to him yeah. for some reason. Well, he is capable of paying a compliment. Yeah. We learned. So well, that's if nice. he, you know, right. believes he it. He demands that it be justified, but he, you know, he, that's something anyway. Oh, sea batch. <laughs> but yeah, so then there's a, a scene at night where they're seeing Gertie off under some cover of darkness. It, it wasn't clear, but it doesn't really like, matter. Basically, the rest of this episode seemed like a fever dream that Cumberbatch maybe was hallucinating. Right. I, I Which, don't know. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't yeah, think that's what that happened, wasn't it, but it was, but it was so very, weird. it was all in the dark they in the fog. They made some really odd stylistic choices, I think, in the shooting of this thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in any case, Gertie is, is heading off, uh, to some safe house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so now Seabatch and Wanup are, uh, riding together through the night. They listen to some bird song and they argue over whether it's a lark or a nightingale, echoing Romeo and Juliet. I thought they were explicitly quoting it because well, she I know calls she, him love. Well, she definitely did explicitly okay. quote it. Um, I wasn't sure if he, he didn't think it was a nightingale. I'm not sure if he actually thought it was a lark. But yeah. in any case, they do that. So in case, in case any of you hadn't gotten the hint yet. <laughs> That there's a little... Uh, well, because in the scene where he was getting drunk with McMasters, like, he said something about her. Oh, he was complaining uh, that people were talking, you know, some 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 talk right. about them. Right. And he had this look on his face, and McMasters was like, why do you look like that? And Benedict Cumberbatch is like, what? I have to go pick my wife up at a German spa. This is what I look like. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, you demonstrably registered some yeah. emotion on your face. I so. did actually like that line, by the way. It's written by Tom Stoppard. <clears throat> oh! Right. That explains some of the obtuseness. Yeah, some of the obtuseness. And, so, like, some of the lines I thought, you know, like, uh, sparked. Um, I liked that line. There's a couple others. Uh, but overall, I wouldn't have pegged it as Tom Stoppard, though, personally. I mean, I saw that his name was on it, and right. then 
completely for well he's yeah. fallen off a bit yeah a little bit in his old age you know who has not fallen off a bit who? is that andrew davis yeah is that eyeliner yeah it is eyeliner. it is eyeliner okay yeah. this is okay this yeah. is kind of an aside cousins but we were right. watching you know pride and prejudice andrew davis's name popped up on the screen we went back and looked and, and he wrote you know mr selfridge and he's written a room of the view like every every costume drama ever he, yeah. he wrote it yeah uh and he still got it yeah so crazy I mean, old eyeliner yeah hat tip yeah. Uh, we'll send you a shipment of coal <laughs> k-o-h-l <laughs> yes um but yeah so there's definitely a belief in the neighborhood that there's uh some 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 teat job action some some wanjins oh i'm like <laughs> what are you trying to say yeah one up in teachings uh chrysotine <laughs> valifer Valifer? I like Valifer. All right. Because going... I don't like the name Teachens and, and I don't like the name Wanup. Yeah, they're two of the worst names. They really are in, ever. in all of English literature. I'm going to go I out on a limb and say. I can't believe the Teachens family has lasted this long without some king or other being like, I'm sick of that name, Teachens. They're all out. They're fired. <laughs> I'm inbred. <laughs> so are the Teachens. <laughs> That's true. Game recognized game. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes they uh they establish that they're on the road to uh well, he says something like Uddlemere. he's trying to read a mile post yeah and his lantern goes out it would all be cute if i understood where the fuck they were going right. and why and how they did not like how like okay so at some point they went from crazy reverend's house to her house to get gertie drop right. gertie and then didn't like did they not have a plan for after that? Like it's weird. like how far away did they have to take her? Right. Um, yeah. So that's odd. A uh, Valentine does say that she does, thinks that sea batch is not so dreadfully ugly as everybody. Apparently, that's the general consensus because she says everybody says that he's so ugly. I don't think that he's ugly. I think he's just terrifying looking. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you and know, no fun. That's uh, you, you could call that ugly. But they also do uh, discuss politics a little, mm-hmm. and I did like this where she says – she's saying some random trivia about some crossroads they're passing. Yeah. And he says, why do you think I'm collecting obsolescent facts? And she says, because that's what you do. That's what Toryism is. You spin principles out of quaintness mm-hmm. and let the world go to hell. No, again, this – again, the the back half – I mean, even mm-hmm. the insane scene at the Reverend's house. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was it was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is you're like okay. Yeah. And I mean, they do have a spark. Yeah, they like, do. Well, because yeah, I mean, she says that, and he's like, "Oh, you you kind of got me with that one." Like he's yeah. like, you know, you know fair well, and play. I interpreted it as well. But I mean, that's also you know that's what you do. It's not just his Toryism. I mean, he's just hardwired that way. Right. Right. He just loves minutia, and he loves to be correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that was nice. Then they're in the fog in the morning. It's lighting up. Uh, and she is looking around for something. Well, she's telling him to like pull up to the left. Otherwise, the horse will go right up to the house. Because it's not totally clear to me what her and her mother's living situation is. Right. Her father died and didn't leave them any inheritance. And she's got a brother at Eton. Right. And so her mother is a novelist. Yeah. And I think they live maybe on the general's estate i think that's i think that's what it is because that's that's the road that they're trying not to go up is the general's road 
But so she's looking around for something in the fog and asks him to make a noise so she doesn't like lose track of him in the fog because it's very, very thick. Yeah. Um, oh, this is before that. Right. Yeah. Right. Because then, uh, in this fog, in a sort of, you know, quote unquote artful shot, but she like comes up into the carriage as he happens to be leaning down and they like almost kiss. Uh-huh. And it's like, whoa. It was, it was sexy. No, it was sexy. I, you know. Sexy fog. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then as they move on and as they're coming out of the fog, a car comes the other way. But it's a very like, uh, you know, I mean, it was like they could not possibly have seen the car right. until the car was right upon them. Yeah. Um, and so they, they swerve to the side and there's, it's not a head on collision or anything. Um, but, and once they, they manage to pull the horse up, they get out and, uh, it's been wounded. It's, mm-hmm. uh, been, uh, cut deeply down one leg. She says, she says red stocking down one uh-huh. leg, which was, a vivid metaphor, and I was like, oh, well, yeah. And that it, seems like maybe some sort of, you know, right. horse sense thing. Right, exactly. But I was just a little thing. And again, it looked bad. It was yeah. unpleasant. Yeah, I felt really at. bad for that horse. Yeah. Um, and so then uh, the general gets out wearing the dumbest outfit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wearing England. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's got feathers all in his hat. Yeah. It just like where are you going in that? <laughs> right, that's an excellent question. Besides, you know, slowly into obsolescence. <laughs> um, but Cumberbatch, who had just been telling uh, Wineup to take off her uh, petticoat for strips to to bandage the horse, is like, oh, jump over the hedge so that she won't be seen with him. Uh-huh. Uh, but the general and his, the general's sister, who was with him, mm-hmm. have already seen her because the general comes up and is like, you know. Like, basically, like, you know, who was that and blah, blah, blah. He goes, <laughs> Right. Where, and Cumberbatch is, like, yelling at him and saying that, you know, I'm going to, you're going to pay for this, the, the damage to this horse, basically, mm-hmm. and this is your fault because you didn't honk. And the general's like, I am not. I'm not going to pay for it. And yeah. It, I did honk and all this sort of thing, which I didn't think anything of. But then in the next scene, Cumberbatch explains that he picked that fight. So that when the sister spreads the gossip mm-hmm. that him and Wanup were seen together, or that he was seen with a yeah. girl, then people will maybe be like, oh, but he's having that fight with the general. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just a vicious rumor. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty clever. See, you know, Seabash can play the game when he chooses to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's revealed as him and Wanup are standing with the horse. Uh, I guess they're waiting for the horse ambulance mm-hmm. that they have said will be sent uh, so he explains that, and they talk about uh, Groby. Uh, he says that it's very old; it's older than Protestantism. Not that old. <laughs> it depends how you define. Like, are you talking about John Wycliffe, Jan Hus? Uh, we're probably talking about Martin Luther. Yeah. Anyway, we're all talking about Martin Luther, or even just Henry the Eighth. You know, the point. I is. am. I am. <laughs> right. Uh, but he says it's very old, and also that the famous tree is also very old, and that the roots are undermining the foundation, and the crown is overhanging the roof. And one of the two of them is going to have to go. Uh, I vote tree. <laughs> right. That shit is creepy. Yeah, it is creepy. And, uh, yeah. And it's all very symbolic. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, before we get too much into the symbolism about England, the postmaster's boy comes along. And so he, uh, they, they flag him down to take one up back to. She has to make breakfast for her mother. Yes. Back to wherever she lives. Uh, and he has a telegram. 
Uh, I and I'm not sure if that was the telegram. Somehow, it's the telegram from Sylvia, Sylvia where she said she was just going to write back righto yes. to his proposal. Yes, and uh, that is what she wrote. We yes. see the telegram, and it says righto. It's very clever. I mean, on her part, yeah, it's cute. Uh, and then Seabatch uh, well, leans. He apologizes to the horse. Right. He apologizes because yeah, he said it had ridden so many miles. Yeah, in forty one miles night. in one night, and then this happened, and he feels very bad, and he holds on to the horse's neck and just cries. Yeah. Uh, and if the horse didn't start moving like it was trying to get away from him, <laughs> that would have been a very tender scene. Yeah, I really did feel a like. It really summed up what the series is to me so far, like Cumberbatch just leaning on a horse and crying. I kind of feel the same way, yeah. and I'm intrigued. Yeah. Like, I don't, I still, like we said, you know, it kicked into gear, I think, about halfway through. Right. And you kind of see, well, and especially since you're reminding me that it's Tom Stoppard. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we're all, you know, we're all going to have to go back to the beginning and watch it over again, <laughs> right. and, like, do a fucking, like, <laughs> you know, chronological edit and figure out what the shit is going on <laughs> yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know, some Russians are going to show up for no reason. <laughs> reason um no but i i definitely am curious about yeah. this and it's 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 interesting to be seeing sort of the lead up to world war one from a more you know citified yeah uh, sort of consideration and something closer to the government certainly yeah yeah definitely and it's yeah i mean it's one of those things where if i just watched this episode for my own amusement I would watch the second one, like, if I remember to, but if I didn't, I might not. But given that we're going to be doing it anyway, I feel pretty optimistic that well, we're going to like it. And then it. there's also the thing that I like is that there's a certain frankness about the Edwardian uh, sexual and social mores. That's true. Because there's a lot of adulterating happening. There is. And it's it's also, like, it's clear what the boundaries of that adultery yes. are and how everybody processes it and fits well, it into Well, and like, their... and they're talking, you know, they're, they're talking about it without ever talking about it directly. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's definitely, you know, everybody knows about it. Yeah. And that really does put the, the mad reverend kind of in his symbolic context in, in the That's scenario true. because he's just talking about sex openly. Um, and everybody can't stand it and is yeah. horrified. Despite the fact that like, you know, McMaster's is like, we need to shut this guy up so I can go bone his wife like, right. real quick. And all of them are talking about sex all the time. Uh-huh. They just like in the manner of those uh, uh, personal note or not whatever those are in the newspapers and the society papers. Yes, yes. Like they're all talking about sex without well, talking I just, about I it. I like that because I think – and we've discussed this at you know, the – attitudes at Downton Abbey are more conservative mm-hmm. by virtue of being in the countryside. Right, right. Um, and, you know, it's also, you know, Julian Fellows has a more puritanical streak. Right. Clearly. Clearly. Um, but it's neat to kind of see them dealing with it in a very, you know, relatively straightforward manner. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, they, you know, people would have to. Right. And, I mean, you know, and again, I keep coming back to the shooting party, even though I hated that <laughs> so much. Yeah. But, I mean, it was it was similar in that regard where mm-hmm. people kind of had, you know, they understood the, the lay of the land. Right, right. And they knew what they could push boundary-wise and what wasn't going to budge. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm excited to see the next one. Absolutely. I... I think it'll be kind of a little bit more of a, a bellwether yeah um but well, i think we're definitely not in a in a titanic bs situation here right i mean you know this is on hbo so this is right not- well, it's on hbo it's only five episodes yeah and True. speaking of which um we couldn't find it streaming free anywhere so we yes. did do the amazon 
instant download. Right. Uh, I don't. It may be available other places. Right. Uh, and the DVD and the it. Blu-ray are available. So that's how yeah. we're watching it. Yeah. So you may be able to get those discs from Netflix if you're still doing the mail. Right. Um, but otherwise, but yeah, I mean, I could not even find it with, by breaking the law. So, yeah. like, you know, you, you may actually have to pay money for this. Um, <laughs> oh, speaking of which, where did you find Morris? Because a lot of people had asked about where you found it. Where did I find it? I assume I went to filestube.com. Okay, filestube.com. Which is my standard place for breaking the law. Okay, so if you feel the need to break the law. Yeah. Uh, filestube.com <laughs> has the off-the-record <laughs> seal of approval from up yours downstairs. Right. All right. Well, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this and that you're digging uh, Parade's End. Mm-hmm. We will be back uh, in a couple weeks with episode two. And until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs. luncheon out. Mm-hmm.